Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries, a podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spooky, <laughs> and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Estelle started whining a little bit when I was she singing did. Let's oh, Dive just In. Yeah, she joined in. Oh, thanks, girlfriend. That was her. I am so excited. This is episode one, one, two. Are we going to say 112 now? No, 11-2. it's only worse no. for 111. Okay, just wanted to make sure. So it is episode 112. Uh, she is listed on celebrity or on famousbirthdays.com. She is listed just as political wife, which is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Ava Braun would have been hundred as well. Don't Whoa. cry for her. Political, political wife Ava Braun, <laughs> wife of Hitler, shot herself in a bunker or got shot in a bunker, whatever. Never died know. in a bunker in 1945. Or did she? Yes, she did. She did. Keep this trend going just a little bit. First supreme leader of North Korea and father of the visionary who brought us such films as Polgasari, Kim Il-sung yeah. would have been 112. Wow, oh, this is scraping this is a some, bleak some ass barrels. List. Look, we're gonna have fun now. Now we're gonna have fun. No one from the Golden Age. <laughs> okay. No. Yes, we are. Now we're gonna have fun. Good. Okay. Ultimate song and dance man who made Debbie Reynolds cry, but then also <laughs> brought us some of the greatest movie musicals of our time. Gene Kelly mm-hmm. would have been right. one hundred and twelve. Gene okay. Kelly. Gene Kelly. The ultimate. Okay. They don't make them like him anymore. Gene Kelly. That's right. Gene Kelly. Ann Miller. Ann Miller. Ann Miller. Miller. I miss Bubbles. (laughs) I miss Michael. I miss Bubbles. (laughs) Let's see. She was, I think, a World War II spy before she taught us all how to cook chicken in our very own homes. Julia Child (laughs) would have been. Julia Child. 112. I loved Julia Child growing up. That's right. That's a, yeah. that's a good Julia. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> and let's end it on a hero. You cracked the Enigma code and oh. the British government killed him for it. Alan sure Turing did. would have been Alan Turing. 112. Future subject yeah. of the pod. Long live that queen. Yeah. Long live the queen. Yeah. Long live yeah. that queen. Also, cool people. Of the civil rights era, Bayard Rustin would have been 112. Okay, long live that queen. And his machine killed fascists. Woody Guthrie would have been oh, 112. Nice. It's a good. Nice, it's a good nice. list. I don't know why I started with Ava Braun and Kim Il Sung, <laughs> but I did. Well, was that what the website was giving you to start the, off no, with? The first one was political <laughs> wife Ava Braun. 
famousbirthdays.com was notes. like, this is the most famous. Notes. It went number one, Ava Braun, number two, Gene Kelly, number three, Camille Song, number four, <laughs> Julia Child. <laughs> what a list. I work with what I'm given, okay? <laughs> well, how was everyone's weekends? Miss, I'm going to throw it off to you first. You look amazing, <gasps> by the way. Oh, thank you. With my, my tiny top knot. It's not tiny. It is in charge. I'm not going to say it's large, but it's it's in charge. I I've been crocheting pokeballs all this week for a present for a friend. <laughs> Never thought I would hear that from you, Miss. Look at your life. Look at your choices. I know. Look at my life. Where are you? Who I don't know, and I I I don't know. <laughs> but they turned out real cute. They did. And, they did. And I made so a cute. book cover out of pokeball crochet granny squares. <laughs> sentence and i gave it to a friend for his birthday which was yesterday we celebrated and that was a lot of fun we went to a brewery can't say the word brewery brewery (laughs) from baltimore the rural brewer went to the brewery we don't get all of the mouth movements that other accents get brewery (laughs) brewery brewery you heard it here first (laughs) brewery Brewery. Brewery. There we go. That was a lot of fun. And uh, trying to figure out my next project. I think it's going to be alien granny squares. Yes, you showed us the pattern. It is too cute. So in love with that. I think I'm going to do something with that. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them, but they're a little complicated. The pattern is a little complicated, so I'm just going to work on making them first and figure out what I'm going to do with Why'd them. Why'd you have to crochet? Make things complicated. There you okay. go. There we go. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see it. I see it. I like it. I see it. And That was I'll... Melissa, the replacement of Avril Lavigne. Oh, yeah. In our Avril Lavigne conspiracy theory. And you know what? That is adjacent to my spoop today. Adjacent. Oh, shit. Oh. Just a little hint. Pre-TTT. Just a little hint. Interesting. There you go. Pre-TTT. Mm-hmm. Pre-TTT. Well, Edie, how was your weekend? Well, this week I have a George Santos update. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> What's that? Do- oh. What is that messy bitch up to now? Well, Saturday, the 17th of February, George Santos filed a lawsuit against uh, late night host Jimmy Kimmel and his parent company, (laughs) the Walt Disney Corporation, for allegedly tricking him into making cameo videos to uh, make fun of him. What? According to the Associated Press, there was a lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, uh, naming Kimmel, ABC, and the Walt Disney Company as (sighs) defendants. (laughs) Um, Santos has been making like, I think he made a total of like 1200 cameo videos. He said recently, right? Legitimately. He says that he has already made way more than his congressional salary. And then he had to say, and that's a fact. And that's a fact. (laughs) So is he mad about the money he earned from it too? He's doing, this is just another classic Santos cash grab. He's alleging that Kimmel misrepresented himself to induce Santos to create personalized videos, quote, capitalizing on and ridiculing his, quote, gregarious personality. Mm. What are you talking about? Kimmel submitted at least 14 requests using four <laughs> funny names and narratives, according okay. to the complaint. <laughs> Starting in December, That's the great. videos were played on a segment called Will Santos Say It? 
One of the things he had uh, Santos <laughs> try great. and say something about like congratulating someone for eating some huge amount of meat in one sitting, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> the idea, George Santos's lawyer says the idea behind the suit is that it's copyright infringement. The cameo was just for the dummy person who ordered it and that Kimmel then broadcasted them was a violation of his So he's cop- saying his video was copyrighted? Yes, because he wants because he's suing for $750,000. It's a bullshit George Santos cash grab. It's not going anywhere, but his lawyer you know, should our, be sued for filing this suit. Fucking, you know, our girl's still doing it. She is still she doing is it. Still, he's Tara Lavash. Tara Lavash is still up there. <laughs> <laughs> she's pulling a gignac she cannot stop gignacking no she can't i mean a gig is a gig so there, there, you, go. A gig. there you go and she's got a knack for it <laughs> so that is that is how i'm doing i am doing george santos update all right i'm, I'm glad Kev? to hear that mm, how am i doing i'm doing quite nice Although we did take the doggo into the vet earlier this week, and it's just getting sadder because she's getting Aww. older. She's but I love her retirement. She's oh, in the December, absolutely. And oh, baby girl, she is just amazing, though. That's all. I I, I just have to say she's she is perfectly amazing. fine. She is. She's just getting old. Yeah, she yeah. It's hard when to see your baby kind of just start slowing down a little bit. It's really hard. Yeah. It is. I have also started some more paintings. I had completed Dorothy's Bornack painting. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, like a month ago. Thank you. Thank you. And I hadn't done anything else yet or another painting since. Like the mm-hmm. entirety of last year was just full on paint, 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 paint. And that was mm-hmm. great. Oh, prolific. Yeah. It, 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 A, it was. Yeah. I have to agree. But yeah, it has definitely slowed down. You, you know what, break. Kev? You know what we need to what? do? Come what? over, bring your bring your paint stuff. I have my paint Amazing. stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Come yeah, over. Yeah. Let's paint. I would totally Let's I would do it. love to do that. Let's do it. Let and then us I can do give it. you the we drill will... that I borrowed from Big Library and am too weak to use. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that sounds like a great idea, and I think we definitely will. On the whole, I've been doing well. Wonderful. So I've had a good time since the last episode, and I've been working hard on my true crime story. I I feel like we're going to have a good time today, I'm not so because of the story itself, but, wow. you know, because of the story itself. You gave us a complicated... Yeah, yeah, a complex emoji hints we what got we today. Have? We have it's family, a- tractor, tree, tools, a skull and crossbones, and an American flag. So obviously I said a family of tree farmers loses it and becomes pirates. And I'm looking at it and thinking, you know, like a family gave birth to a killdozer. Nice. But- <laughs> That can't be it. There's only can't one killdozer, and it became ungovernable. <laughs> I don't think any story idea now that I will say today 
will compare to either one of those uh, expectations. So I am now feeling regretful for sending <laughs> that. You overshot the emoji hint. <laughs> no, I do believe that we will have a, a, an interesting time today and a fruitful conversation. Time has passed enough where it's not Bummersville. It's for sure okay. Middles, Middletown, I think we Middletown, call it. Middletown, Kansas? Yeah. We don't even know how right that is because we will be in Kansas today. Oh, I just realized. Uh, so that's pretty dope. And you were yeah. there? And you were there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of Kansas, yeah, and the Wizard of Oz, Miss, when we drove out to Los oh. Angeles forever oh. ago, and we that made weird, a stop in little old Womega, Kansas, which is mm-hmm. supposedly a town devoted to the Wizard of Oz. And it it, it was... Sort but of. I did not. We did not see another human being or no another like humans. animal for that matter. Oh god! It was a Nobody ghost was town. It was a literal. It was ghost so strange. Town. It was really weird, and it was like the week preceding Fourth of July. Yeah, it was so strange. It, it was, was really it, it, fucking weird. It was really bizarre, Kansas and it felt real creepy. Creepyinquiriespod at gmail dot com. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why Kansas? Why Kansas? Why now? We are sticking all up in Kansas today, which is great. Listeners will already know the subject of the pod by the time we release it because we title it as such. <laughs> uh, but for you two, I yeah, let's see. felt like the true crime story would be a little better told if I made it more of a mystery reveal. Oh, I love a mystery. Ooh, the drama. Setting a stage. Oh, I love the drama. You know, I, I like a little bit of drama every now and then. Only every now and then. You can't go overboard. I love it all the time. The events take place between the years 1871 and 1873. We are in Kansas. We're actually going to be in the southeastern part of the state. Okay. Okay. Bottom mm. right corner. Bottom right corner. I had to do some and math we- too. <laughs> <laughs> And we first start in a town called Independence, Kansas. The newly bustling town of about 500 or so by that point was founded in 1869, and its terrain is very little house on the prairie. The prairie. The prairie. The indigenous people of the area at the time were the Osage people. The Osage Nation originated in present-day Kentucky, but by the early 18th century, the Osage had become the dominant power in the Oklahoma, Kentucky, Arkansas, Missouri region, and Kansas. Throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, however, white settlers and various unfair treaties were signed and enacted. I have air quotes up. Oh. <laughs> and that produced the Osage's land to Independence, Kansas, that little corner bottom corner of this what we now know of the state of kansas okay even with that little amount they were ultimately ran out of that area by white settlers when whites bought the land for a measly in today's money about a thousand dollars you're fucking shitting me jesus nope it was fifty dollars in 1869 something like a buck and a quarter an acre fuck america fucking fuck Fuck. america to be Fuck it. Soup to nuts, tea to be, ass to ankles. <laughs> the treaty that was signed that told the Osage to GTFO, and that was the 1870 Drum Creek Treaty, 
That is how the Osage people were then displaced to what is current day Osage County, Oklahoma, where future subject of the pod, we could definitely talk about the oil rights that they were Mm -hmm. getting rich off Mm -hmm. of and the white people came in and killed them because of that, which is what the book and movie Killers of the Flower Moon consists of. Oof. Fucking oof. Oofs all around. But back to Southeast Kansas, where our story takes place. In the winter of 1872, we meet a young father with an infant daughter in a covered wagon. It's just them two and a small team of horses. His name is George, and his daughter's name is Mary Ann. She was probably around 18 months old. George and Mary Ann are leaving their home in Independence because poor dude... He'd experienced one tragedy after another, as was the way in the Wild West at the time, of Mm -hmm. course. Times were tough, and living the homesteading lifestyle was rough and dangerous. According to the 1870 census, George had a wife, and her name was Mary Jane. And George and Mary Jane, they were living in independence, and two of George's neighbors were members of kind of notable families of their time, for instance— Neighbors of theirs were the Ingalls family, as in Laura, Laura Ingalls, Ingalls Wilder. Wilder. I was going to say, as in heard of her? She was a four-year-old at the time, so long before any little house on the prairie came up. But yes. But she was in a little house on the prairie. She did. Another notable neighbor who lived next to George and Mary Jane was one Dr. William York. Dr. York lived next to George and Mary Jane for a few years. As the town doctor, he was present when George and Mary Jane's infant son was born, but also he was there when the infant son died of pneumonia in 1870. And tragically, Dr. York was there for when Mary Jane herself died a few months after giving birth to their final child, little Mary Ann. It was Dr. York who had sold the newly widowed George the horses that he needed to pack up and leave Independence. Why don't and it I was trust understood. this guy? I don't trust I don't this either. guy. I don't either. Not at all. Something about your tone right now is making me worry about Dr. York. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No. I mean, don't, don't. I don't mean, but think... like at this time in that place, you could just like say you're a doctor and then start pulling people's teeth out what? of their heads. Or you could just go get a paper that says you're a doctor. That's exactly what the Wild West was. People could just, and that's <laughs> the crux of our story today, is people could just say whatever back in the day and got away with anything. But yes, as a, a, a Dr. York, he's a good dude. Okay. okay. And it was Dr. York who sold George the horses. George and Mary Jane left off in their covered wagon, and it was presumed that George was taking little Mary Ann back up to his home state of Iowa to his parents' house so they could help raise her. Yeah, solid plan. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to work out. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. Gonna say, we wouldn't be talking about him. This is creepy inquiries, so it sounds it's going to be terrible. <laughs> and they made the trip, and everything was chill. And everything was chill, and here is now the swoop story. Yeah, Go right? ahead, Evie. <laughs> <laughs> and it was understood that Dr. William York knew of the travel plans with George. He was sure he knew where George was going because they spoke about it. 
But come spring of 1873, which again, George left in November of 72, come spring, he had not heard from George at all about whether or not he made it to Iowa or whether or not his journey changed somehow. And that started to worry the doctor. He himself got a sneaky feeling that something may have happened to his old friend. So Doc up and traveled himself to ascertain the whereabouts of his old neighbor and his daughter. Dr. William York made it to Fort Scott, where one of Dr. York's brothers lived. He has two brothers. One lived in Fort Scott, about 90 miles north of Independence. And mm-hmm. it's also understood that he questioned a number of homesteaders along the route to ask about his missing friend. Okay. The doctor didn't get any answers from people. So he told his brother up in Fort Scott that he was going to head back home to Independence and that he would check in with his other brother who lived in Independence once he got back in town. Mm-hmm. Eerily, some time had passed. The two York brothers did not hear back from Dr. York. Oh, no. Uh-oh. The third York brother, the one back in Independence, his name was Colonel Alexander M. York, and he was a Union Civil War veteran, a lawyer, and a current member of the Kansas State Senate. So he was a man of prominence. Yeah, big shit. And he did not fuck around. Both brothers knew the doctor's travel plan, so immediately the Colonel York rounded up a group of 50 men to go out looking for his brother. And they were going to do exactly um, what Dr. York was doing initially, going to each home and asking and inquiring about his whereabouts. 50 people? I'm starting to paint a picture in my mind of what might have happened to Dr. York based on some of your context clues, Kevin. Based on some of my context clues. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I like the way you're thinking. Interesting. Interesting, Hmm. Kevin. Interesting indeed, Edie. Indeedy. (laughs) Indeedy. (laughs) On March 28th, 1873, the search party that the Colonel York had put together, arrived to a one-room prairie shack and approached to interrogate the inhabitants. Four people came out of that shack. One was a gruff, old, prairie-worn man, his equally gruff-looking wife. There was a handsome 20-some man with a mustache and an even more beautiful 20-something woman that came out to greet the interrogators. These inhabitants were the Bender family. And dear listeners, they're today's subject. I know the Bloody Benders. Do you know the Bloody Benders? Because that is what their nickname is. The Bloody Benders. Oh, fine. I feel like I've I've heard the phrase Bloody Benders, but I don't know anything else. So I've (laughs) never heard of the first part of your story at all, but I know the Benders, but I've definitely heard of this story. I'm here for it. Fabulous. I love, I love old timey. Uh Uh-huh. I love an old timey true crime. They're some of my faves. Okay. Okay. I know. Then I think you're going to have a a good time. It's a good story. It's a very good story. The bloody Benders. That is what they were known as they were a family of serial killers in Southeast Kansas, and uh-huh. they terrorized scores of victims in just a few short years. Holy smokes. Yep. Yeah. They consisted of Father John Bender Sr., his wife Elvira, their oh. son John Jr., 
and daughter of some type, Kate. Of some type? Of some type. And I label Kate as such because no one truly is sure of whether or not she and John Jr. were siblings or they were married. Yeah. So we're not sure if she was daughter both, or daughter-in-law. You know? Or like, both. Dot, maybe. Dot, dot. Or both. We're on the prairie. So. <laughs> we're yes. on the prairie. Pickens is slim. And like we're you're already up to your Jack. eyeballs and lawlessness already if you're a serial right. killing family. Truly. What's a little bit of an incest cherry on top of that Sunday? you know? <laughs> oh, that's not even <laughs> the, the, the cherry on top yet yeah oh god there's more so oh no there's more ingredients it's there's <laughs> a lot of ingredients in i don't want it i don't want to eat the it. family they were notorious and so wild stories have cropped up since too which is further muddied evidence and facts in this situation right like what's real and what's legend mm-hmm. there's no way for us really to ever know the truth because, you know, what kind of fucking evidence did they have even back then? So we don't know. Yeah. What we know about the Benders, in October of 1870, five families of spiritualist homesteaders yes. uh, came up and got some land in this area. Spiritualists, that's right. We do this and we're talking seances. We're talking yeah. free love. Ooh. We're talking oh. hucksters. We love it. Yeah. Ooh. We're talking knocking with our toes. We're talking the Fox sisters. All of it. Okay. And according to the book, Hell's Half Acre, The Untold Story (laughs) of the Benders, a serial killer family on the American frontier. God, that was a long title. That is a long title. (laughs) By Susan Jonasus, J-O-N-U-S-A-S. Jonasus? Jonasus. Oh, God, I have no idea. It's hard, but Miss Susie, she wrote it. Sorry to that lady. According to that book, John Sr. and John Jr. arrived first, and no one knows if they are related by blood or marriage. We don't even know if John Jr. himself is blood-related to the family either. For all we know, they could have been a group O killers that Mm -hmm. decided to band together or something. Right. We don't know. And they divulged nothing of their past. And when they were starting to set up their homesteading, the men arrived first in 1870. They set up the area with the shack. They built a well. They built a corral. And, and then about a year or so later, then the, the chicks uh, arrived and joined them. The but what we know of, the older man spoke very little. He spoke mostly in German. But it was very guttural and hard to understand anyway. But the younger man, he didn't stop talking. He was talking Mm. incessantly, annoyingly so. Mm. They were claiming land in this area, uh, the land of the Osage people, because there was something called the Homestead Act. And that Mm -hmm. meant that any federally surveyed plot of land was available to settlers willing to live on there and develop that land. They were called claims. That is what John and John Jr. did. They quote-unquote Claimed 160 acres of land. Uh, belonged to other people. Belonged to Sorry. other people. Exactly <laughs> right. It fell along the only open road for traveling farther west, too. So it was very Oof. strategically placed. Okay. By 1871, the whole Bender clan was under that one-room shack. They divided the shack with a canvas wagon cover. So they just... Hung that up halfway in the room. They used the 
luxury. For the privacy of it all. Yeah. They used the smaller part of the room in the rear for their living quarters and the front part of the room for their little general store that they they had where they sold some dry goods. They also used the front section for the kitchen area, and they had a small dining table, and that's where the benders themselves would eat, but also entertain travelers that would stop in for either a meal or to even spend a whole night on their journeys. Huh. Okay. Okay. And you can sell all kinds of things at a general store. And you can... All things got sold. You can sell things that you get off of a weary traveler. I mean, sometimes Uh travelers just (laughs) would forget things. like Just forget things. This prized horse saddle or or just their horses sometimes they would just forget about them. Sometimes they're just like, I'm going across the entire country of America. I think I'm going to walk. Indeed. And sometimes they just disappear. It's treacherous out there. It is treacherous out there. What do you want to talk to me about it? Wild, wild west. All right. This would have been perfect. I should have gotten Will Smith's lyrics. Uh That would Uh have been fucking perfect. Honestly, honestly, if you want to take a second to go do that. um, Desperado, Rough Rider. No, I don't want nada. None of this. Six gun in this. Brother running this. Buffalo soldier. Look, it's like I told you. Any damsel who's in distress will be out of that dress when she meets Jim. That was what was in there. Wow. 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 I could have wow, I am glad I could count on you. Thank, thank you. I'm here Edie. for you. I'm here for you. <laughs> so it was the wild, wild west out there. By the time that the ladies arrived, too, Elvira and Kate planted a two-acre vegetable garden and an apple orchard on the property as well. Nice. That will come into play later. Mm. Here's what we believe we know about the Benders themselves. John Sr. was probably around 60, spoke very little English, if any. The neighbors and surviving cabin guests indicated that they were German immigrants. Quote, The old man was a repulsive, hideous brute without a redeeming trait. Dirty, profane, and ill-tempered. Sounds like a treat. (laughs) We believe Elvira was Around 55. Her command of the English language is also disputed, but her neighbors called her a, quote, she-devil and Ah. commented how unfriendly she looked and acted. Look, I refuse to picture anything other than Elvira. Me too. Me too. That's all I can picture. (laughs) Wait, I are they in a town? Because you're saying like neighbors and stuff. Are there just other homesteads nearby? Other homesteads nearby, yes. Okay. Yeah. To describe Mrs. Benda, quote, Mrs. Bender was a dirty old crone. Her face was a fit picture of the midnight hag that wove the spell of murderous ambition about the soul of Macbeth. Well, holy shit. I love that. (laughs) Describe me that way when I'm dead. Like, read me the house down boots. But is this after they found out what they did, or is this before? You know, well, I, I, my guess is afterwards. Uh, that's <laughs> my guess, my guess too. My guess is, like, they just found out this woman was a serial killer, and they're like, I knew it! She's an old bloody fucking hag! <laughs> I that's, said it from day one. <laughs> it's such a poetic read. It really it is. It is, eloquently. It's, it's very eloquent. Very eloquent. 
We believe that John Jr. was around 25 years old and that he was fairly handsome, which is subjective, of course. He had auburn hair and a mustache, allegedly spoke English fluently, but with a German accent. And again, that bird could chirp. Love talking. He was described by some as a half-wit, quote-unquote, and he had a laugh like a hyena. Okay, I take offense to that. As somebody with a hyena-like cackle, (laughs) let us live. Yeah, leave you be. You do not choose how you laugh. No, we have no, we don't control how we laugh. I find laughing fascinating uh, if you look at how many different ways people laugh. Yeah. That's so wild for me. That's (laughs) neither here nor there. And for Kate Bender, we believe that she was probably around 23, 25. She appeared cultivated and she spoke English well with little accent, which is why some speculate she wasn't blood related. She was a self-proclaimed healer and psychic. Yes. She distributed flyers advertising her supernatural powers and her abilities to cure illnesses and to advertise her seances that she would hold. She would give lectures on spiritualism, which gained her notoriety around the area because of that very outspoken ponderance of free love that she spoke about. I mean, depending on what her relationship is with Bender Jr., that's some pretty darn free love. Yeah. And in her lecture, she allegedly declared that murder could be used for good, that, that what the world might deem villainy. Her soul might read bravery. <laughs> Brave. Brave. You know, and I got to say, I, I throughout the entire amount of articles that I was reading about this story, my brain is thinking only that Kate could be played by, if they were to make a movie, Kate would be Mia Goth. In oh, my mind, she would yes. be perfect for it. Oh, Mia Goth perfect. would be perfect. That, that allure, that sex appeal, and then the crazy at the snap of a, a hammer She's or a snap star. of a finger. Star quality. So that's who I'm picturing as Kate. Not only was the family becoming a talking point around the area, uh, at the same time, there was a rise in deaths and disappearances to the point that it became so common that travelers began to avoid the trail around their property, not because of them, but because of the actuality that so many people were going missing in that area. Mm-hmm. It was becoming noticeable, I'll say. Yeah. And in May 1871, the body of a man was discovered in a nearby creek with his throat cut and his skull crushed on his right side. Dang. The owner of that area of the creek in that allotment, he was suspected, but no action was taken. And a couple months later, in February of 1872, the bodies of two more men were found in very similar injuries and locations in that area. Mm. Sounds like an accident. Sounds like a really big accident. So let's head back to Colonel York and that search party for his missing brother. Right. On March 28th, 1873, Colonel York arrived at the Benders Inn and was one of the search party members. He approached the Benders and explained that his brother had gone missing, and he asked if they had seen him. Boldly, the Benders did admit that Dr. York had in fact stayed with them one night a couple months ago and suggested that 
he may have been attacked by the Osage people or anything else or a bear for that matter after that he had left. It's the wild, wild west. Swallow your pride. Don't let your lip react. You don't want to see my hand where my hip be at. With Artemis from Mm -hmm. the start of this, running the game. James (laughs) West, team in the west, so remember the name. I looked up the Don't forget, Edie, I have muting ability on this recording. (laughs) (laughs) Lord of the tech. So he's like, where's my brother? And they're like, we don't know. He left fine. He could have died out in the woods. It's not our problem. Right. He thought to himself, okay, that's actually fair. We right. don't really know. Thank you for your time. So he left. And a week later, he had heard from people in Independence that there was a woman who had been driven out of the Benders' Inn by a knife-wielding Elvira. Colonel York was like, oh, hell no. He gathered up his men again, and they went back up there after someone corroborated their suspicions. So he goes up there, much like what his first visit was a week prior. Elvira comes out, allegedly not understanding English. Kate and John Jr. were out there trying to explain how preposterous everything sounded. Yeah. No, of course not. Oh, no. Couldn't be us. Not us. We're great. When Colonel York repeated the claim, it lit Elvira's fuse. She angrily shouted at him that the woman was a witch because she had the gumption to curse her coffee-making skills. Whoa. (laughs) Know your place. Oh, yeah. Elvira's got her eyes on the prize. She's focused. Yes. She yelled for York and his men to GTFO, which revealed for the first time that her, quote, sense of the English language was much better than was let on initially. (laughs) Probably. You can't trust these people. So Mm -hmm. Kate approached the colonel, apologized for Elvira's behalf, and asked him to return alone the following Friday night. She would use her clairvoyant abilities to help him find his brother. I don't think that ever truly occurred, though. He never returned on his own. Okay. They never got a chance to figure out what that would have entailed because the men that York was with were convinced that the Benders and a neighboring family, the Roach family, they were convinced that the Benders and the Roaches were guilty of misleading them about these missing and or killed people. And they wanted to hang all of them right then and there. But York, he was a senator, he was a colonel, so he insisted that evidence must be found. He convinced them not to do it. So they left. Happening concurrently to all of this, neighboring communities began to also make some racist accusations about the Osage community. What? Again, being responsible for these disappearances. I can't believe that, Kev. I don't think that white people would ever do that. I don't either. And I can't believe the words that I'm saying. (laughs) The Osage Township magnanimously arranged a meeting in the local schoolhouse to try and quell those racist rumblings that the whites were spreading about um, them. Bros, don't even bother. Don't. There's yeah. not a thing that you can do or say. No. Nope. Don't even fucking bother. About 75 people showed up to that meeting, including Colonel York and also both John Bender and John Bender Jr. They were all there. After discussing the disappearances that were occurring in the area, including that of the colonel's brother, Dr. York, they all agreed to obtain a warrant and search every single homestead between one creek and another creek that included the Bender's property. 
And I'm sure at that point, John Sr. and John Jr. started to give each other the side eye, like that uh, monkey puppet meme. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, we have to move a lot of stuff. We got to go. And despite York's strong suspicions regarding that the benders were guilty of something, no one was monitoring that property. So no one noticed for several days that the benders had fled. They got out of there. (laughs) That was just a mere three days after that town hall meeting. A local homesteader, his name was Billy, he was driving cattle past the Bender property. He noticed that the shack looked abandoned. He did see that there were some farm animals still there and they were unfed. They didn't have any hay or anything like that. And of course, shit like that, to alert authorities and to have investigations come out and everything, that took time back in the wild, wild west. Wild, wild west. So now, now, even... now, now, once upon a time in the west, madman lost his damn mind in the west. Loveless kidnapped a dime, there. nothing less. Now I must put his behind to the test. Can you feel me? I was waiting for you to say the magic phrase. Now that I know, I'm not saying it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Billy goes to fetch people. It took days because of some inclement weather. And also we moved slower back then to get people back out onto the property to investigate. But they did. They showed up. Several hundred ended up turning out in a search party once the word really spread throughout the community and neighboring independents. So a lot of people showed up, including Colonel York. And when the party arrived at the shack, they found that the cabin was empty of food, clothing, and personal possessions. Nice. But that's when a bad odor was noticed. Mm. The volunteers traced the ick to a trap door that was underneath the dining room table. It was nailed shut, but after prying it open, the men were whooshed with that awful odor even Mm. harder. Peering into the void, they could make out that it appeared to be a six-foot-deep Seven foot at the top, three foot at the bottom, kind of reverse pyramid style okay. dumping yeah. zone, ditch that uh-huh. was in the trap door in the house. And it was surmised that is how the benders did what they did. They killed victims Sweeney Todd style. Oh, my God. They would have a certain chair set up above the trap door area for their lodgers. Either John Sr. or Jr. would hide behind the canvas sheet that was dividing the house. They had a hammer. Oftentimes, they would come out, whack the guy on the right side of the head. If the guy fell, if he tried to fight back or whatever, one of the women would have a knife that they would then slit the person's throat. follow up with the throat slit. Yeah. And then push them down the well. For the lucky ones died right away. The not-so-lucky ones... mm, It's hung out for a while. Yes. Um, and so people started searching because they, they didn't find bodies in the well, in the ditch. Oh. So they were trying to look around. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's, it's, not, it's not big enough to keep people in there. It's only big enough exactly. for kind of a one at a time, you know, get them, hide them under the floorboards until you can move them somewhere else. So they started probing around the entire property. They were... Focusing a lot more on loose dirt, they concentrated first around the apple orchard and the vegetable garden, mm-hmm. prodding the ground with like metal rods to look for kind of evidence. They were poking and poking and poking, and then one of the men 
poked something that was not yep. dirt. Poking for bones. Ooh. He had stumbled upon a pair of shoes. Ooh. Heels mm. up. And they were, of course, attached to a person's body. The body was that of poor Dr. York. <gasps> they found yeah. him right away. First one. They found him first. Oh, yep. that's real sad. And I'm not sure if the colonel was still there or not when they found him. But, of course, you know, he, he was told that they found him. The group continued probing until about midnight. And in total, that first evening, they found another nine grave sites. Oof. Wow. And at that point, they decided to call it an evening. They were going to start back up fresh the next day. And when they started it back up again, they discovered that a lot of the bodies were doubled up in those grave sites. So instead mm-hmm. of thinking they found nine bodies, they found upwards of 20 bodies. Wow. That's a lot. That's so many. It's the perfect location to be doing stuff like this. Everybody, Most really people are by nature transient. It's at a time in history where, you know, like travel took forever and you can easily blame it on indigenous peoples because it was prime time for that shit, too. Yeah. It's important to note that all but one victim had their heads bashed in with a hammer and throats cut. Wow. The only one that did not have evidence of blunt force trauma or any cut marks was a a young girl's body, young Marianne. Oh, God, it was the baby. Yep, she was buried Mm. next to her father. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. And then they, uh, the townspeople started to tear the, the shack apart, looking f- for not yeah. just evidence, but for souvenirs. Honestly, they, they were taking yeah. bricks out. and, and Yeah, and, I can um, sell this for this is part of the Bloody Benders' shack. Yeah, 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 yeah. People are gross. We've always been gross. Oh, God, yeah. yes. But we know this is corroborated their killing methods because they did have some people survive their attempts. But as it was... Communication didn't work well back in the day. So people that did survive, I would imagine they just continued on to their journeys and kept going west or maybe who the fuck knows. But a lot of their stories didn't come forward until after bodies were discovered. Having said that, while a number of the travelers had wealth, not all of them did. So we're not sure whether the family targeted people because of their finances or the amount of horses that they had or just for the thrill of it. We're not sure. But some of the lucky people who survived describe very similar scenarios. Often the people that would survive were people that didn't want to sit in that chair, the like chair of honor, the seat of honor at that table. Yeah. Either they were like, ew, because the chair was next to the cloth. Sometimes the cloth had some stains, probably blood, and they were probably off-put by that. But each time someone would say uh, no, uh, or they would get a bad vibe from the situation, either Kate or Elvira, usually Kate, would then turn almost instantly about how angry they were. They went from being hospitable to, you're not doing what we're fucking saying. Yeah. Which is, again, why I would think Mia Goth would be perfect for this role. She so would be. Goddamn. We're wrapping up here, but they made their escape. Nobody truly knows where they come from or where they went to. It is possible that the Benders hopped on a train. There were some reports at a train station near St. Louis. John Jr. and Kate 
hopped on a different train, went down Mm. either to the border in Texas area or in what was known as the Indian Territory. And the older benders stayed on and went up to Michigan somewhere. There were a lot of vigilante groups that had gone out to search for the family, claimed that they caught the family, they killed them, they either lynched them or burned them or shot them. Mm-hmm. Nothing has ever been proven. But we don't have the bodies, but pay me anyway. Yeah, that sort of thing. In total, the bloody benders are most likely responsible for the murder and robbery of upwards of 25 victims done between the years 1871 and 1873. In $2024, upwards of $100,000 in cash was Dang. stolen from those travelers. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of moolah. That is the story of the bloody bender family. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's wow. What? Absolute like dead center of the opportunity of the American frontier. How yeah. you survive out there? Well, you kill and steal from other people. Yikes. Sounds- and it was so it was relatively easy to do that. Especially when you worked as a group. <laughs> yeah, 20-something people in two years? Jesus Christ, that's horrible. There's the matter of survival, but then there's also the part of me that thinks maybe it was more than that just because of Kate talking about the virtues of murder in her little speeches. Yeah, that's interesting. part of me thinks Definitely. she might have just enjoyed it. <laughs> Well, I mean, it could be a lot of things. It could be a rationalization. Sure. Why, you know, this method of survival was okay for them. You know, it's, there's, uh, it's, that's, I mean, they're going straight to the wild, wild west, man. Wild, wild west. There we go. Oh, Kevin. Thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. I have heard about this story before, but that was so much more detailed and so much more, so much better explained. I loved it. Thank you for that. That was was great. I thought it was going to be so much simpler. I thought that George had killed Dr. York and then passed himself off as a doctor. I thought that that was where we were going. I did too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We went, it's at once both much more complicated than that and much simpler than that. It is. Wowie zowie. Wowie zowie. Well, how do we feel about a change of pace? Oh, we'd love I a change. I am here of- for that. Change my pace. We've been promised a sports ball and some silliness. That's right. Yep. That was the only emoji you sent was a football, I believe. I sent you a yep. football emoji. That's right. And yep. I suggested that it was going to be a story about the ghost of Johnny Unitas Uh, And I look forward to being correct. (laughs) Listener, like my illustrious co-hosts, I do research for this show. And sometimes, like this week, I branch out into areas with which I am unfamiliar. Exploring wilds and inside goth like me, frankly, fears to tread. But I do it for you, listener. This week... I dove into two equally terrifying waters, sports and contemporary popular music. Join me now, dear listener, as I present the bounty I've gathered for you in my travels as we address 
a burning no. conspiracy question. No. <laughs> no. Is Taylor Swift a football psyop? Oh, God damn it. Makes sense now. Why didn't Miss Miss? Why did we not why did, catch that? Why did we? How, how did we not just assume it was about this? How? Uh, how did we not assume? I couldn't do anything Swift? else. I couldn't I know, do anything else other given than it away. The football should have given it away. And then in the beginning, when you talked about the Avril Lavigne replacement theory, I said this, this was adjacent. I thought it that really for was. sure you guys would get that it was Taylor Not and Travis and whether they were Democrats, psyops. Didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. All right, let's get mad. I'm ready to get mad. Let's do it. Back in July 2023, Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey went to Taylor Swift's Kansas City, Missouri stop on her hugely popular Eras tour. He revealed on a podcast he hosts with his brother Jason that he wanted to give her a friendship bracelet with his number on it. Cute. Cute. In September 2023, uh-huh. Taylor Swift went to a Chiefs game wearing the team's gear, watching from Travis Kelsey's suite with Travis's mom, Donna. And the two were seen leaving the game together. The next day, a Swift source told People magazine that they're just hanging out and there's no pressure. Taylor keeps going to games. Travis is asked about Taylor. He says he's on top of the world. They go public when they held hands at the Saturday Night Live after party on October 14th, 2023. Sorry, Estelle is playing with a toy. November 11th, 2023. Travis attends Taylor's Eras Tour with Taylor's dad in the VIP section. Taylor changed the lyrics of the last song of the night. Karma, which I've never heard, singing, Karma is the guy on the Chiefs coming home to me. Oh. Karma's the guy on the Chiefs coming home to me. Oh, that's cute. It's cute. It's cute. December 6th, 2023. Taylor was named Time Magazine's 2023 Person of the Year, an honor previously bestowed upon Adolf Hitler himself. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. You ain't wrong. In an interview for that issue, she talked about her relationship with Travis for the first time, confirming that it all started when Travis talked about her on his podcast in July, and that by the time she was spotted at the Chiefs game in September, they were already together. And then it was off to the fucking races. Wall-to-wall Taylor and Travis coverage throughout the winter. Truly. Yes, it has been. Yes, it has been. February 2024 has been a big fucking month for Taylor. She took her hugely popular Eras tour to Japan, which was a big deal because Travis was set to play in the Super Bowl on February 11th. Would Taylor be there? The world's fears, thankfully, were assuaged by the Japanese embassy in Washington, D.C. itself. From a February 2nd press release. The Embassy of Japan in the United States is aware of recent media reports concerning the steps Taylor Swift will need to take to travel from Tokyo after her concert on February 10th to Las Vegas in time to watch the Kansas City Chiefs play in Super Bowl LVIII. Despite the 12-hour flight and 17-hour time difference, the embassy can confidently speak now to say that if she departs Tokyo in the evening after her concert, she should comfortably arrive in Las Vegas before the Super Bowl begins. 
We know that many people in Japan are excited to experience Taylor Swift's Eras Tour, so we wanted to confirm that anyone concerned can be fearless in knowing that this talented performer can wow Japanese audiences and still make it to Las Vegas to support the Chiefs when they take the field for the Super Bowl wearing red. All right. (sighs) Taylor won her 13th Grammy on February 4th and at the event announced the imminent release of her new album, bafflingly named The Tortured Poets Department. Baffling to some. Swifties know exactly what it means. She's a billionaire. I don't know what it means. How tortured can she be? I uh, understood. And on February 11th, 2024, just last week, she did make it to the Super Bowl and her boyfriend's team won. And Ice Spice was there. And our conspiracy story <laughs> begins. First, a quick does tangent. Does Ice Spice uh, factor into it? Of course she does. A quick God. tangent to the outermost layer of the onion. Why was Ice Spice in Taylor's box at the Super Bowl? Yes, miss. Who is Ice Spice? She is a uh, drill rapper from the Bronx who has gotten big in the last year. Oh, And she had a commercial for Starry Soda airing that day at the Super Bowl. And sure, she has a song out now. You think you're the shit, bitch. You ain't even the fart. I love it. It's fine. Ice Spice is fine. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm too, I'm too old to be into it. Well, whatever Ice Spice was doing there, Christian patriots knew it wasn't good. Let's let Newsmax's self-styled liberty-loving Latino, Chris Salcedo, explain. You're going to make us listen to this. La, la, la. I'm so mad at you. I'm so mad at you. Uh, Christianity under attack all over the globe as we're seeing a crackdown on Catholic churches in Nicaragua. Back here at home, the left has declared open season on people of faith as well. In the culture war last night, Americans witnessed what some are dubbing the satanic Super Bowl, including this moment where someone called Ice Spice, who was hanging out with leftist icon Taylor Swift, made what some call satanic hand gestures while she donned a upside-down cross. I'm just going to die. I just... Yeah, satanic hand gestures. She wore... She did wear an upside-down cross necklace and made what some called satanic hand gestures. Snopes apparently debunked it, but Salcedo and outlets like the Christian Post know better. Of course. Mm. Wake up. For the actual most likely answer to why Ice Spice was hanging with Taylor at the Super Bowl, we have to go back in time to January 2020. Kevin, don't be an idiot. The friends, <laughs> they did a song together. And then Ice Spice got caught up in the hole because was Taylor using her as a, uh, because she was dating Matt Healy. Am I on the right track? You are so on the right track, Kevin. You, <laughs> I don't know yes, any of these This people. is all stuff that I didn't know, but was at the top of Kevin's mind. All right. <laughs> January 2023, Ice Spice tells Elle magazine that she loved the band The 1975. I don't know. Never heard of them. But their front oh, man is some British dude named Maddie Healy. Put a pin in that. Maddie Healy, that same month, goes on some dude's podcast, The Adam Friedland Show. Beats me. But in that episode, Healy said he messaged Ice Spice on Instagram once, and she didn't respond. And then he and the host start making fun of her. Racist bullshit incoming for the next few minutes. 
They refer to her as an Inuit Spice Girl, a chubby Chinese lady, and then they do some imitations of what they thought might be Chinese, Hawaiian, and Japanese accents. At another point in the podcast, Healy admitted to going to a porn website fetishizing the abuse of black women called, brace yourselves, ghetto gaggers. Jesus Christ. I will spare you further details, listener, but it is awful. The whole deal of the site is about white men getting off on degrading black women for being black and being women. Now, why does this matter? Please tell me. Taylor and Healy dated maybe in 2014 and stayed friends ever since. Then Taylor dated some guy named Calvin Harris and then some guy named Joe Alwyn starting around late 2016-ish. Taylor and Joe dated for ages and ages, and their breakup was finally reported in April 2023, the same month that Maddie Healy's comments on that podcast resurfaced, the same month that that podcast episode got pulled from everywhere but YouTube, the same month that Healy did some half-hearted apology to Ice Spice during a concert. Huh. Hmm. But a Swift source told Us Weekly that she was taking the Alwyn breakup well, was enjoying her freedom and wasn't looking to date anytime soon. Huh. Huh. Taylor and Healy start being seen together the next month, May 2023. And on May 24th, 2023, Taylor announced a remix of her song Karma from the album Midnight's from the tweet. Um, so much to tell you. I'm a massive fan of this brilliant artist, and after getting to know her, I can confirm she is the one to watch. So delighted to say that Karma, featuring the incredible Ice Spice, will be out tomorrow night at midnight Eastern as part of the new Midnight's Till Dawn Edition deluxe album that you can pre-order now. By early June, Taylor and Maddie Healy were donezo. So, Taylor and Ice Spice's collaborations from practically the last full calendar year have been fueled in large part by public relations damage control. Her previous boyfriend was shitty to Ice Spice and to black women generally, so the Taylor Swift team worked overtime to keep Taylor's side of the street as clean as possible. And when Maddie's shit stank too much to clean, Taylor cut him loose. Did you mean to just quote a Taylor lyric? What? Uh, She has a lyric about keeping her side of the street clean. Shut the fuck up. I keep my side of the street clean. Oh, my God. And that's in Karma. No way. Because Karma is my boyfriend. Yes. No way. You had a self-TTT. I had a self-TTT. I had a T-S-T-T-T, a Taylor Swift's telepathic triangle of trust. That's wild. I got goosebumps from that, actually. I had no idea. But this PR machine stuff is an important thing to remember during this story because public relations machinations are very real just not at all in the way that this conspiracy theory claims so let's rewind back to october 2023 yeah taylor and travis emerge as a huge power couple and to real american patriots something wasn't right see that month Travis aired the first commercial as part of a $20 million advertising deal with pharmaceutical giant Pfizer. In the ad, a pharmacist asked Travis if he knew he could get a COVID shot and the flu shot at the same time. Travis goes, huh, 
two things at once. And then is shown doing two things at once, like he mows the lawn and barbecues and shit like that. So here he is promoting not just one vaccine, but two. What a monster. And it's is not even the really first time. really what started this? Kind of. Because he partnered with Walgreens in June 2021 to encourage people to get the COVID vaccine. And Travis's vaccine insanity did not go unnoticed. New York Jets quarterback and pilled to the gills weirdo Aaron Rodgers called Travis Mr. Pfizer on a super popular NFL podcast. To quote Aaron, Mr. Pfizer said he didn't want to be in a vax war with me. This ain't a war, homie. This is just conversation. If you want to have some sort of dual debate, have me on the podcast, come on the show, let us have a conversation. Let's do it like in John Wick 4 so we both have a second, somebody to help us out. I'm going to take my man RFK Jr. and he can have Fauci or some other pharmacrat and we can have a conversation about this. Ew. Oh, God. This sucks. Travis, for his part, said he didn't mind being called Mr. Pfizer, and he stood by the message that these vaccines can help the spread and severity of COVID and the flu. What a goddamn maniac. Unhinged, truly. Other pilled sports dudes like UFC chief Dana White and MAGA MMA fighter Colby Covington also hit out at Travis for shilling for Pfizer. And guess fucking what else? What? Travis did advertisements for Bud Light. (gasps) Oh, fuck. So he's in with big trans. Canceled. This kind of like makes these two things kind of make me like him a little bit. I didn't know I liked him. All right. I mean, he's he's truly whatever. I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. Whatever. He's more power to you, Travis. That's fine. And then previous Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, were having a great fucking season. There's no way that that's goddamn real. In early February, the Chiefs beat God's very own children, the Baltimore Ravens, while Taylor watched and did (laughs) nothing to stop it. Truly, I went to a goddamn bar to watch that game. No, why? Did you? Did you lose a bet? (gasps) Who did this? I have friends. Your friends. It's a social thing. I kind I get it. I learned. I had to learn what a tight end was. I still don't that's know. That's what Travis Kelsey does. He's a tight end. So that's yeah. what I know. That's I was like, why is he famous? He's not a quarterback. Like, why is he I was famous? like, are there other ends? I don't know what they do. I don't is know. Is there a loose end? They do something. And he's apparently very good at it. He's apparently very good at football. Well, clearly something wasn't right. And it was Taylor's fault. Rumble influencer, so take that with a grain of salt, Mike Crispy, with an I, tweeted before the Ravens game. The NFL is totally rigged for the Kansas City Chiefs, Taylor Swift, and Mr. Pfizer, Travis Kelsey. All to spread Democrat propaganda. Calling it now. KC wins, goes to Super Bowl. Swift comes out at the halftime show and endorses Joe Biden with Kelsey at midfield. It's all been an op since day one. I just but I, even I'm so I know exhausted someone that doesn't watch football. I know that the Chiefs won last year and yeah, I, didn't they I, win I, like the year before or something? They're very good at football. This, this isn't team new is very good. Yeah. But here's the deal, know. folks. In October 2020, at frankly, the very last fucking second, Taylor endorsed Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. for president. And for that. 
she must never be forgiven. But like, is anybody surprised by this? Has she ever given any indication that she would give any other kind of endorsement? No. No. When she does do kind of very vaguely political things, it's very one and done. It's very calculated. And it's very at the last possible second that she could rule the world. She really could. And like the only things like I've ever seen, she her could do move is... the needle with one Twitter post. Like, but like, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. She's got like two hundred and seventy nine million followers on Instagram or some bullshit. And I'm just, I'm just like, I know she's like an an ally. I know she she'll post things about that every once in a while, but I just don't even understand why. That's a choice. It's a political fucking thing. I whatever. <laughs> well, Newsmax anchor Greg Kelly brought some evangelical flair to the Taylor hate hype train, saying that Taylor's I mean, fans were guilty of worshiping her instead of our Lord and Savior, the little baby Jesus Christ. He said, "This is a little bit of what idolatry, I think, looks like, and you're not supposed mm. to do that. In fact, if you look it up in the Bible, it's a sin." <laughs> Well, it's a sin. He's not wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong. And he should I also mean, yeah. like maybe think about that when they talk about their god emperor, Donald John Trump. Yes. 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 In December, Jack Posobiec, who you might remember featuring in our Pizzagate story, tweeted in December that Taylor and her vaccine shill boyfriends were being weaponized by the Dems to make sure that Joe Biden won. And this is how he described it. I don't understand. The Taylor Swift girl boss psyop has been fully activated. But like... Oh, what does Travis have to do with that? He, he's a vaccine guy. He's getting paid by Pfizer. He's a vaccine shill. And I'm sure Pfizer had uh, put in, they knew pre-COVID that they needed to use him for this very moment. So they probably started working on this whole thing years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, the, we will get to a little bit of that, of how <laughs> it, it is absolutely true that Democrats would love Taylor's endorsement. Oh, holy shit. Yes. Oh, my God. Of Are course they would. Kidding? I know that. Of course they would. But that's the the way that this kind of psyop thing is going gets the power imbalance completely wrong. It's and let's insane. get into that a little bit more. In January 2024, Fox News idiot Jesse Waters got in Fuck on him. the Taylor psyop beat. Well, Taylor Swift's the biggest star in the world. Sorry, Gutfeld. She's been blanketed across the sports media entertainment atmosphere. The New York Times just speculated she's a lesbian. And last year's tour broke Ticketmaster. A tour that's revenue tops the GDP of 50 countries. I mean, I like her music. She's all right. But I mean, have you ever wondered why or how she blew up like this? Well, around four years ago, the Pentagon Psychological Operations Unit floated turning Taylor Swift into an asset during a NATO meeting. What kind of asset? A PSYOP for combating online misinformation. Listen. You came in here wanting to understand how you just go out there and counter an information operation. The idea is that social influence can help uh, 
can help uh, encourage or uh, promote behavior change. So potentially as like a peaceful information operation. I include Taylor Swift in here because she's, um, you know, she's a fairly influential online person. What Jesse Waters is describing is not what happened. As this clip ends, Jesse tells viewers, yeah, that's real. Pentagon's PSYOP unit pitched NATO on turning Taylor Swift into an asset. But the person giving that presentation in the clip doesn't work for the Pentagon. Her name is Alicia Marie Bargar, who, according to Mediaite, is a research engineer in applied physics at the Johns Hopkins University. Ever heard of it? Hey, hey. None of the speakers on stage at that event worked for the Department of Defense or the U.S. government. The talks were given as part of NATO's International Conference on Cyber Conflict. And it's just all about kind of hypothetical things of, you know, people who could, the idea that famous people can influence culture. Sure. That is what okay. being famous is. So like something that's very real and obvious. <laughs> yes, but that did not stop Jesse from having a guest on to talk about the PSYOP further. You know, immeasurable amount of followers, she can potentially single-handedly swing voters because of just the amount of followers that she potentially can influence. So the answer is yes, Jesse. Yeah, because when she posted the link to the vote.org, it's like hundreds of thousands of young Taylor Swift fans all of a sudden registered to vote. I wonder who got to her from the White House or from wherever. Who makes that initial handshake? Is it the binder? Well, the administration has what they consider a perception optics management team. And those are professionals that go out and identify those people who may be unsuspecting whether with knowledge or without knowledge, to do these type of campaigns. Now, it is possible that Taylor Swift, quite frankly, does not know that she is being utilized in a covert manner to swing voters. But the bottom line is that the Biden administration she can't is wear her pretty little head. identifying how many followers and how many voters potentially she can influence with either right information or misinformation. The guy that is talking who isn't Jesse is some guy called Stuart Kaplan, who is billed as a former FBI agent. I don't know anything about this dude, but he is a guy who was willing to talk to Jesse about the ultra-powerful Biden administration being able to trick (laughs) poor little baby lamb Taylor Swift into registering people to vote. I think it's wonderful that she posted a link on her social media and that a lot of young people followed the link and registered to vote. And a lot of people do. And the, the again, the power imbalance that Jesse Waters is talking about, that it's the big bad government who got Taylor Swift, is completely opposite of what the, what the truth is. And the night of the Super Bowl... When the Chiefs won, some fuckhead on Biden's social media team tweeted out a dark Brandon meme. You know those memes? It's Joe Biden on a black background with laser eyes. Originally a kind of inversion of 
the Joe Biden's got fingers everywhere. He's got these machinations, whatever. And it was sort of a originally a non-government meme of like, well, actually, you know, sure, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious to think about Joe Biden being powerful when, in fact, he seems pretty frail. And then the meme was completely over when Joe Biden himself started using it. So the night of the Super Bowl, they tweeted out a dark Brandon meme with Joe with laser eyes, along with a simple message, just like we drew it up. So they're nodding to the Taylor Swift psyop meme in a way that uh, isn't super funny for people on the center or left, especially when that same night Israeli troops were bombing the city of Rafah, which it told mm-hmm. 1.5 million Palestinians to go to and started bombing during the Super Bowl when America mm-hmm. would be distracted. The single most distracted evening of U.S. society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the dark Brandon meme with laser eyes saying, just like we drew it up, could be confused for that, which is not yeah. a good look. And also, like, it doesn't get you much if it's for the Super Bowl PSYOP thing. It's just it's just, it's just a dumb, it was a misstep. Look, it was an 80-year-old joining TikTok. Oh, I that know. That was probably a pretty good, like, on-ramp. Chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> now, the thing that I like about this conspiracy theory is that it completely ignores the possibility that private enterprise is just as capable as government is more so to pull strings behind the scenes. Pop culture figures have ironclad PR teams and none is more powerful than Taylor Swift's. Of course, everything she publicly does is calculated. That's how she became who she is. The government, Taylor doesn't need the government. The government needs Taylor. And you know who knows that? Joe Biden. His team is fucking desperate for her endorsement, as they should be. Last year, she posted once urging people to register to vote. And apparently, that post alone led to 35,000 new voter registrations. Governor of California, an enemy of unhoused people everywhere, Gavin Newsom, has practically begged Taylor to endorse Biden this time around, saying in September, Taylor Swift stands tall and unique. What she was able to accomplish just in getting young people activated to consider that they have a voice and that they should have a choice in the next election, I think, is profoundly powerful. And you know who else knows how powerful Taylor Swift is? Past and future President Donald John Trump. As I noted last week, Trump posted on Truth Social on the morning of Super Bowl Sunday, absolutely salivating for Taylor's endorsement, which he'll get on a cold day in hell. Yeah. Taylor Swift and her enormous team are absolutely not going to be shanghaied into working for the Democrats. It is quite the opposite. Politicians on both sides are clamoring for her support because she is one of the most powerful voices in the world. Mm-hmm. And it is not how psyops work. Before we end this week, a uh, poll was conducted by New Jersey University in that poll. One in five Americans almost believe that Taylor Swift is part of a conspiracy to help Mm -hmm. Joe Biden win Mm re-election. And that is a little bit 
about the Taylor Swift football psyop. So so stupid. It's so dumb. So dumb. Conservatives are tweeting out like NPC sports ball memes about like, you know, like, oh, you losers paying attention to football. It's so weird. The bizarro land. Yeah. Whack a doodle time. It is whack a doodle time. It really fucking is. It's so silly. It really is. It's so dumb. Uh, One of the articles that I cite in the sources that'll be on our source page from Wired, I believe, talking about how, A, that this Taylor Swift PSYOP thing is not real, and B, it is not how PSYOPs work. I didn't get into, you know, the history of psychological operations because my story was already too long, but it's a good read. Well, well, thank you, Edie. That was um, a a mix of emotions. Frustrating. You're welcome. Frustrating. (laughs) You're welcome, Miss. If one of our listeners would like to tell us what they witnessed Taylor do on the Eras tour in relation Mm -hmm. to brainwaves, because she had those uh, little uh, bands that would light up strategically throughout the Mm. stadiums, basically five G. What? What's that, or what could what could they uh, look do what to you made her do? That's a Taylor Swift reference. Look what you made her do. Well, if you want to send us your story, hit us up at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Instagram at creepyinquiriespod. Or um, if you're interested in the sources like the one Edie mentioned, you can go to our website at creepyinquiriespod.com. Or if you've got a minute, wherever you're listening right now, leave us a rate or review. We really appreciate it and it really helps us out. Five stars or you don't know what's going to happen out in them thar woods. Edie's going to come at you from behind the sheet. I won't, but I might. But I won't. I love it. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this 112th episode. Again, the Bayard Rustic aged episode. And until next time, good.